We are going to uh, spend this week and next week thinking together about uh, the theme of the generosity of God. And so uh, to help us begin um, thinking about God's gracious blessings, uh, look with me at uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, beginning at verse 33. And we're just going to read a handful of verses there. And as we uh, begin... um, to find our location there and uh, um, prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Let's um, bow together in prayer. So Lord, we are uh, gathered here as your people. We are open and receptive to what you might want to say, what you might want to do, how you might want to be at work. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, set down our defenses and our objections and our busyness and our distractions and anything that would get in the way right now of us being able to pay attention to what you're doing. Lord, you are our God. And we are your people. And we're thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 33. And Paul writes these words. I always love finding little passages like this in uh, the Pauline uh, texts. Um, There's such a uh, um, sense of Paul as being sort of a stern, harsh, um, sort of um, um, almost ill-tempered theologian. Um, we find these wonderful little passages that we're reminded of almost his childlike delight in the God that he knows and the God that he has encountered. And so he says, oh, what a wonderful God we have. Uh, How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who knows enough to be his counselor? And who could ever give him so much uh, that he would have to, re- uh, to pay it back? And then verse 36 is going to be our focus today. For everything comes from him, everything exists by his power, and is intended for his glory. To him be glory forevermore. Amen. Amen? Amen. So a number of years ago... Um, we were working with our youngest son, Ben, and one of the things that we were trying to do was to help him to learn the difference between uh, the, a real-life person uh, who happens to be an actor that you see on the TV screen or in a movie theater, right? So the real-life person that happens to be an actor and the characters, the pretend characters that they were, that they were playing. So we were trying to help him discern the difference between pretend in real life. And so um, a number of years ago, we ended up going to see this movie called Exodus, right? How many of you saw the movie Exodus? Remember that? It's, it's not a memorable movie, right? If you didn't see it, don't rush out to get it, right? It's really a forgettable movie, not a good movie. Uh, and Christian Bale plays Moses in this movie, right? And so uh, we're sitting in the theater, and uh, Christian Bale comes on the screen as, as Moses. And I thought, okay, teachable moment here, right? And I leaned over to Ben, and I said, okay, Ben, do you recognize Moses from anywhere else, and uh, he looks at the screen, and he thought, and he pondered, and 
he basically came back with nothing. I've got nothing. I have no idea. It looks like Moses to me. I've, got, you know, I've never met Moses, don't know Moses. And I said, okay, hint. Here's a little hint, little, little hint. Uh, think about Batman. And uh, that, he had a puzzled look on his face, and he looked at the screen and uh, thought, and then all of a sudden the light came on, and he had this look of amazement on his face. And I thought, okay, we have a breakthrough moment here. Good parenting. And he said this. He says, you mean Moses is really Bruce Wayne? <laughs> parenting, fail. Didn't work. So I think... I think he, uh, I think he's starting to get this sorted out now, and uh, be, being able to tell uh, the difference. Um, but sometimes uh, it's hard for us to tell the difference between what is real and what is just real for us. Uh, between what is real and what is just real in our minds. Sometimes it's difficult for us to tell the, make that distinction, and that's certainly true when it comes to the way that we think about who God is. Uh, can we tell the difference between the image of God that we have created in our mind and the God who really is? The God who uh, reveals himself in Scripture and the God who comes to us in, in the person of Jesus and the God who speaks to us today through his Spirit. Uh, do we know how to make that distinction between the God that we've created in our mind and the God who really is? Uh, for example, uh, I wonder how many of us today have a picture of God in our minds that tells us some version of this story, that tells us some version of God is stingy. God is really demanding. God is a taker. God always wants something more from you. God wants more of your money. God wants more of your time, and more of your best energy. God just needs things from you. He wants to take your fun away from you. He wants your work. He wants your effort. God always is a God who's wanting more from you. And on the other hand, God is a God who is really reluctant to give anything to you. Uh, God, if he's going to give something to you, if you're going to pry something out of God's hands, uh, you have to beg him. You have to plead with him. You have to convince him. You have to maybe bargain with him. Have any of you ever, not out loud, but in your mind, bargained with God? Have you ever come to God and said, if you'll just get me out of this mess, if you'll just get me through this, if you'll just keep my kids safe, if you'll just help me out in this one little thing, if you'll just do this, and then the bargain is, I will read my Bible every day, or I'll go to church on Sunday, or I'll tell other people about you, or I'll do something that I know will make you really happy. A little bargain that we strike with God. And, and that bargaining that we do is all coming from this place of God is really reluctant to give me anything. And I have to pry it away from him. And if we have that picture of God in our mind, if we have a picture of God, some version that says God wants more and more and more from you, and God is really reluctant to give anything to you. If we have that picture, I wonder if we can this morning uh, just step back a little bit from that caricature of God. And instead, let God reveal himself to us the way that God reveals himself in Scripture. Uh, the way that God really is. And what I want to suggest is that the way that God really is, 
is that God is fundamentally a generous God. God is a giving God. God just uh, delights in giving. God is a God of abundance and extravagance and creativity and fruitfulness when it comes to his giving. A God is a God of blessing whose love is expressed through giving. Did you hear that? God is a God of blessing whose love is expressed through giving. That's the God that we find in scriptures. And I just want to wonder with you for a few moments, church, if we could embrace and be embraced by that sort of God, that generous, lavish, extravagant, blessing, generous God, if we could be embraced by that God, what difference could that make for us? What difference would that make in the way that we do praise and thanksgiving? What difference would that make in our ability to trust that sort of a God? Uh, and entrust our lives to that sort of a God? What difference would it make in our own lives of generosity, the way that we live our lives? I want to suggest to you this morning that unless we can embrace and be embraced by this generous God, we'll never really understand what it means to live as gospel people. The beginning point for understanding God's generosity is that God owns everything. God owns everything. Recall the words of verse 33 in our Romans passage. How great are his riches in wisdom and knowledge. And the idea of that phrase is that uh, God's uh, possessions are comprehensive, that there's nothing that God doesn't own. As a matter of fact, in our text this morning, Paul is just concluding a rather lengthy conversation in his letter to the Romans. He spent about three chapters uh, dealing with uh, one of the most pressing issues of his day, one of the deepest questions that the church, this early Christian movement, was facing. And specifically, in Paul's time, the question on the surface was, how is God going to deal with the Jewish people, these Hebrew people, who have been God's sort of special prized possession for thousands of years, how is God going to deal with the Jewish people who have had all of the benefits of God's law and attention and protection and provision and, and presence, all of the things that God was doing for the Jewish people over here? And then, on the other hand, there, there are these Gentile people, and that is everybody who isn't Jewish. And the Gentile people have been living in unbelief and in paganism and in all sorts of uh, wild and crazy ways, and they haven't had God. In fact, all through the Hebrew Scriptures, God has said, stay away from those people. They're, they're not for you. Don't mess with them. And now all of a sudden, um, God is doing something different. He's bringing together these Jewish people, these Hebrews, and, and the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, into one family, into one place in this early Christian movement that we call the church. And the questions of the day are, is God being fair with that? Is there equality there? How does that work? What is God going to do? Is that even right? Are we okay to do this? Are we allowed to mix or not mix? We don't know what to do. And suddenly, what well, is the surface issue of their day, uh, Jews and Gentiles, mix, no mix, fair, not fair, 
and that can seem sort of distant and irrelevant to us. We don't worry so much about the Jewish-Gentile issue today. Uh, we've not had an elders meeting on that in years. Um, <laughs> but what we do see is that that surface issue is just another symptom. It's just another version of the questions that we do struggle with. We do struggle with questions of, uh, is God fair? Is God good? Is God keeping his promises? We struggle with understanding how it is that God's holiness and God's heart for inclusion can fit together. And Paul says, look, I don't have any good answers for this. It's a rare moment of humility for Paul. I don't have any good answers for this question. And, and he even admits in, in a lengthy sort of way, he says, who can possibly understand God's ways? Who can understand what God is doing? Who can, who can know the mind of God? But, he says, this I know. Here is my point of confidence. Here is my assurance that even when I don't know, and even when I don't understand, and even when I'm not sure what to do, I can come back to this bedrock principle, this sure foundation. And he says, God is generous. We have a generous God. We have a giving God, and we can celebrate that, and we can rest in that. And in verse 36, there are basically three prepositions that control the verse. The first one is, all things are from God, all things are through God, and all things are to God. We're going to look at each one of those for just a moment. First of all, all things come from God. Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. What does that mean? Psalm 100 says, It is He who made us, and we are His. In other words, I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to my family. I don't belong to my company. I don't belong to any organization over and above the reality of belonging to God. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. In other words, everything on earth belongs to God. The world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 89 starkly states, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it. You have founded them, the north and the south. You have created them. There is nothing that doesn't belong to God. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, the scriptures speak with a unified voice. Everything that exists belongs to God. Uh, there's, not a, uh, there's not a thing that you have. There's not a place that I have been that doesn't belong to God. The Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper, I suppose if you're going to be a theologian, being a Dutch one is as good as anything, um, but Abraham Kuyper says, uh, there is not a single inch on the whole terrain of our human existence 
over which Christ does not exclaim, Mine. Mine. If we're honest, that rubs us a little bit raw. Because while that makes sense, there's also a part of us that likes to say mine, too. Um, Mine. One of the first words we learn. Every fall season, I enjoy the uh, Jimmy... Kimmel post-Halloween clips. Um, You know the ones where I was actually going to play one, but I decided they're really mean. And I I don't want to really celebrate the meanness. It was terrible, terrible parenting ideas. Don't ever, ever, ever do this, right? Don't fall for it. Don't make your kids think you're mean. But it's hilarious. And so this is what... So this is what happens, right? You know the the drill, right? Uh, What Kimmel says is, hey, parents... Uh, you know, your kids come home from trick-or-treating, uh, trunk-or-treating, or whatever they do, and they have this huge stash of candy. And what you do is you hide it. You take it away. And then they wake up in the morning, and, you know, they run out to their stash of candy. And uh, what do they do, right? What do they do? Um, you say to them, oh, my goodness, it's all gone, right? And, they're, and they look in their bag or their little pump. They look in there, and there's no candy in there. And um, it's all gone. And maybe there's a few wrappers left in the bottom for good effect. And, and then mom and dad come in, right, and they're all serious. And they, you know, maybe you have a little chocolate in the corner of your mouth or something like that. And you say, listen, listen, um, mom and dad have something to tell you. Last night, after you went to bed, we got really hungry. And we ate your candy. It's all gone. It's gone. And then... You, you video the response. And you send it in, right? And it goes on TV. So you video the response. And what, are the, what do you do? What are, the ki- what are the responses, right? What do the kids do? Right? How many, how many you know, three-year-olds say, you know what? It's all God's. It all, you know, it was never mine to begin with. <laughs> freely I received. Freely I give to you. It's all good. Don't worry about it. How do they respond? What do they do? What do they do? We ate it all. And what's the instant response? Right, one little kid in the in the clip, right there he is. He's he has this look on his face, a shocked look, and he just like keels right over. And there he is. He's laying there in his little huggies, and he's hyperventilating. His little belly is going up and down, and he has this look on his face, bewilderment. I don't understand what's just happened. How can this possibly be? I know that that was my candy, and you took my candy. And 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 and, and other clips, right? There's there's anger. There's even violence. There's there's tears, there's screaming, there's wailing. It, 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 it's, it's incomprehensible. There's this, there's this sense that I have been deeply offended. I have been deeply betrayed because you have taken something over which I have said, mine. Listen. God's ownership of all things needs to get into the parts of us that are selfish, that are fearful, that are greedy, the parts of us that most want to say, mine. All things come 
from God. God owns everything. The second phrase in our verse is, Paul says, all things come through him. Our translation um, uh, says, everything exists by his power. And another translator says, all things uh, all come from him, all live by him, all ends in him. All live by him. In other words, um, God's generosity is not just that he's created everything. It's not just that he's made everything. But God's generosity is also that he sustains everything. He cares for everything. He's holding everything together. Acts 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breadth and everything else. We might be willing to affirm, right, God is the creator. And so because he created everything in the past, everything belongs to God. We might be willing to understand that, that that God owns everything in the past. But here we move from the past to the present. And what we want to say is that God is presently upholding and orchestrating every single aspect of his creation. Uh, Every breath that you take, every, uh, every, um, every star in the heavens, every atom in your body, everything is held together in every moment by the will and purpose and care of God. And what that means is that every detail of your life and every detail of my life is unfolding under God's direct activity. So let me be really personal. Everything that you have, you have because of God's guiding and directing and unfolding and blessing and sustaining. The car that you drove here this morning, the house that you woke up in, the bed that you slept in, the meal that you ate, everything that you have, the friends that you're sitting with, the family members that you care for, your paycheck, your diploma, your career, your house, your trophies, your awards, all of the treasures of your life. It's so easy to believe, well, wait a minute, I've worked hard for those things. I've sacrificed and I've planned and I've disciplined myself and I've, and I've, and I've gotten a lot of these things by the sweat of my brow. Uh, I've invested and I've exerted, and I've earned my paycheck and my investments. But the Bible is just crystal clear that what we have, we have because God has given it as a gift. Deuteronomy 8 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Everything that I have is a gift from God's hand. First Corinthians, Paul says, for he, for who makes, for who makes you different from, from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, Why do you boast as though you did not? In other words, I don't live with an attitude of entitlement 
I don't live with an attitude of superiority. I don't live with an attitude of self-congratulations for all of the things that I have received and done and accomplished. I live with an attitude that says, thank you for the gifts that you have given to me. And yet, we do have these things. We do have cars that we drove here, homes that we sleep in. We do have air that we breathe, and we have water to drink and food to eat. We do have family. We do have these things. We have the beauty of creation that we enjoy and care for. We have these things. So how can that be that everything belongs to God in every single moment? And we have these things. And the incredible reality here, the incredible thing that we learn is that God's ownership of things, God's possession of things, is very, very different from the way we own things. Uh, When we own things, one uh, writer says, we own things with locks and keys. Uh, We own things with bank accounts and security systems. Uh, We own things by keeping them. And God owns things not by keeping them, but by giving them. All things are not just created by him, but everything we have is through him. God owns by giving. And why do we know that? Because God didn't create everything in order to be more complete in God's self. God was already completely and totally sufficient. There wasn't any need in God that compelled him to create. Rather, God creates out of the fullness of his love and his joy and his delight. And so, one writer says, God gives us this love, joy, and delight as generosity. And we return those to God as thanksgiving. And so number three, finally, ultimately, all things are returned to God. Uh, Verse 35 says that when we return things to God, it's not so much about giving God things that he didn't previously have. God already has everything. God is the owner of everything. There's nothing that God is lacking. And by the way, that's why bargaining with God is never a good idea. Right? Right? You never bargain with somebody who has all the chips. There's nothing that you have that God doesn't have already. God has everything. Everything belongs to God. And so what Paul is saying is you don't give back to God in the sense of giving him something that he didn't previously have. But rather you give back to God as a way of um, reflecting God's glory. We give back to God as a way of reflecting God's glory. We return to God with praise and thanksgiving and worship, we're reflecting God's glory. When things are received and enjoyed and ultimately turn our hearts back to God, the giver and the source of all that we have, God is glorified by that. Secondly, all things moving back to God also reminds us that as stewards and caretakers of God's creation, we have a responsibility to use our wealth and our resources and our time to once again uh, cause all things to reflect and point to God's glory, God's abundance, God's generosity. 
um, our work, our calling, our purpose is to lean towards the goal that every element in creation once again comes to reflect God's ownership. Uh, one of my seminary professors uh, used to say, we are not the end user of the gifts that God gives to us. We're sort of midway in the supply chain. The gifts flow to us, but then they also flow from us. Uh, one example of that work. Um, all things coming to reflect God's ownership. What would it look like if the Dow Chemical Company reflected God's ownership? What would it look like if the Dow Chemical Company was run by God as the CEO? What would it look like? What would be different? What would be the characteristics expressed and experienced in the workplace and in the community? So we have one friend in our faith-walking community who looked at that question and said, if Tao is going to reflect God's glory, if Tao is going to be an example of God's ownership of all things, then one of the things that will be true is that when uh, men and women show up to work, um, they will be able to be fully themselves. They won't have to hide. They won't have to pretend. They won't have to be afraid. And so uh, this friend is saying, when I go to work, one of the things that I want to do is to cultivate a culture at Dow that reflects that reality a place where we don't have to hide from each other. And that's a way of returning to God, the gift that he's given, by causing that gift to once again reflect the glory of God. So what do you take home with you today? We have a generous God. We have a generous God, no matter what the image in our mind might want to say. The beginning point is we have a giving, generous God. The second thing that we want to say is that God owns by giving. God expresses his love and his blessing by giving us good gifts. God loves the world by giving. The third thing is we return that gift to God by saying praise be to God. We return that gift to God with worship. We return that gift to God with thanksgiving. and and we return that gift to God by giving ourselves to the work of causing all things once again to reflect the glory of God's ownership. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you for your abundant generosity. Lord, for gifts that we have received for blessings that we haven't even recognized yet. We give you thanks. Lord, for those places in our lives uh, where we have really stubbornly dug in and said, mine, when we've been offended by your reach, Lord, I pray that um, you would help us to open our hands and receive your generosity in new and fresh ways. 
And Lord, for those places in our life where we see your gifts being used in ways that don't honor you, that don't reflect your generosity and your extravagance and your welcome, Lord, help us to give ourselves in really specific ways to causing all things to once again reflect the glory of your ownership. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.